The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. One of the many benefits a membership in IANS offers is an emailed account of an NDE or OBE. And today I thought I'd read a few of last year's NDE accounts as emailed to to our members. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I am your host, Lee Whitting. We're going to begin with, uh, this was December 2015, uh, titled A Vision of Unconditional Love Saves Mother and Son. And one of the things I hope this will encourage you to do, along with uh, joining IANS and uh, and enjoying... uh, the uh, re- accounts that are reported to us is to, if you're uh, an experiencer yourself, write up your own story and send it to IANS. Uh, these are used uh, not just for entertainment purposes, but for serious research into the uh, phenomenon of NDEs and OBEs. December 2015. My little boy was almost two years old. We too shared a room in my parents' home. I remember feeling abject anguish at not only seeing no solution at all to our plight, but that I had absolutely no way to think about it or consider possibilities. Single mothers were still rejected outsiders, uh, rejected as sinful women in the 1960s with small consideration of the father's responsibility, and could still be pressured to give up their children. It was all confusion, no way to go at all at that time. I was immature and not... Uh, long over deep depression, and later a suicide attempt shortly before my son was conceived. Choices were blocked from every angle that I thought about them. My parents, in their own way, met well, but I was necessi- but it was necessary to leave my son with them for me to go to work to pay for our food and give something to my mother for our keep. All the while I knew that they were mentally and physically ill-equipped to take care of my son, they talked about how fast he could run away from them, and neither could catch him as they were both unable to walk fast or run. Their home was on a busy main road, but at the same, there seemed to be no alternative but to leave him in their care. I was terrified to leave him, but if I didn't earn money nor have a respectable career or a good job, my mother became distressed and hostile. I had a job, but as the stress mounted, eventually, in blind panic at what might happen to my son, I quit work and went back to the house in the middle of the workday, afraid that he would run away from my parents and be killed in the traffic. No one in my family or outside had discussed the fact that I was my son's uh, mother, that I loved him and would not be separated from him. I was concerned for my parents and did not expect any great understanding from either of them. I did not like them to be distressed. They were both frail and anxious. Thinking back to that time even now makes me cry. I am proud to have survived and so glad that help came, and the help that came was the great light. I have read accounts in lives of saints or hermits of the great of that same great light. I remember feeling as if I was on the edge of a crumbling precipice with my little boy. We didn't belong to any religion. Who would ever want to belong anywhere that made such horrible threats as hellfire and damnation? Who would want to find a God who made such threats? How could anyone ever think of that as love? I was afraid, for all my life I had been obliged to attend church services. I felt no affinity for them or for the people involved in them, 
who for the most part seemed unenthusiastic. But I knew no other way. I was inadequate as a human being because I had never found the right path to take. My fear also was to pass my fear to my son and have him carry it himself. It was a state of moment-by-moment hypervigilance, panic, fear, insecurity, multiplied by the terrible sense of failure of being a hopelessly bad mother. I had no idea what to do. It was at about that time of the peak of fear that I saw the first part of the vision. One evening, my son was asleep and I was resting near him when, as if a long, long way away, I saw light, a bit like a torch, a round light, bright enough to obscure its source if any hand held it or if it was fixed uh, or if it was fixed anywhere. As I looked at it, wondering what it was, what could it possibly come from, where it could possibly come from, it began to grow bigger quite slowly. Then as it continued to grow bigger and brighter, it suddenly occurred to me that this must be a huge vehicle, maybe a truck or a train, for it seemed to be gathering speed and growing bigger by the moment. My thought then, without consideration that this idea was impossible, was to run, to get out of the way of whatever was coming. It was headed straight for me and my son, but I found I could not move. It wasn't a light like a beam, but like a sun, an orb without clear definition, I sensed that it was not going to hurt me. It slowly became immense. It had no shape, no edges. It just kept growing until there was nothing left, no spaces around it. Everywhere was covered with it and filled with it and was made of it. Not a light that lit up objects so that they could be seen more clearly, but a light that consumed everything. Everything disappeared into it and vanished. There was nothing left anywhere but the light, my sleeping son, and me. At the same time, all the stress and fear I had felt completely completely disappeared and was replaced, overcome by, swept away by a completely overwhelming warmth. Not physical warmth, but the warmth of the feeling that all is well forevermore. A vast and limitless sense of comfort came over me. There was no more fear. There was nothing left anywhere at all but gentleness, kindness, love. It was not like an ocean because an ocean has boundaries. It was everything, everywhere, all the universe, not an atom excluded. It included all of me, all made of light and warmth and limitless love. I slipped in and out of delight in this sensation and fear of losing it, delight at the relief and fear that I might be hallucinating and all the horror would come back. But the strength of it went on. There was no diminution, diminution, no loss of the sense of loving support. With the light and love came a sense of being myself, separate with my son, quite alone, but whole and undamaged, protected, safe. It was a real sense of all I had ever thought possible about any possible God, creative, loving, caring, and everywhere. Whenever I started to think about it and the panic began to rise again, the same huge strength took over. I was reassured at once, not by voices, but by a kind of welling up of courage and self-belief that I had never experienced ever before. Nor did I understand why or how. In that experience, I knew that I was safe. I knew that love was with me. With my parents, the situation grew worse. It was impossible for me to talk to my mother about any of my feelings, and in a day or two, she called an ambulance and psychiatrist. She wanted me taken to hospital I could not leave my son anymore. I had no idea how to arrange our lives, but I 
could not let everything continue as it had been. My mother, angry that I no longer went to work and seeing me playing with my son, was not willing to discuss the plan she thought best. She was frightened and sure that I was going mad. Playing in such a way, not behaving in ways she understood, was insane to her. The psychiatrist came with an ambulance and would have taken me away on her opinion only. It was the ultimate test for my new courage, new love. I was too afraid to speak more than a word or two and shocked by the idea that anyone would consider my presumed madness as a realistic idea. I said almost nothing. I did not dare to describe the light. I knew they would say I was mad for sure if I did that. I was quiet and polite, and the psychiatrist could not find any reason at all to have me taken away, and she left. In the next days, I saw a terrifying vision of hell. It was a deep, vile, and filthy pit full of slime. I knew there was a creature alive in the vile stench at the bottom of the pit, and I felt forced to go closer and closer. The living thing heaved over in the filth, and in its monstrous features, I saw myself. But the strength of the love I knew now obliterated that and took the fear away. Then a much more terrifying and painful vision. I smelled blood and heard the sound of someone groaning as if in death throes, in terrible, unbearable agony. I did not want to see, but I had to see. I turned my head and found my face very close to the head of the dying Christ. It was real, not imagined. I was with a dying, bloodied, tortured human being. I felt the warmth from his face and saw the blood running down his head from the big thorns pushed into his scalp. He was in such terrible pain. His breathing was rasping, choking. I could not bear it, but I had to bear it. For uh, a moment I knew that this horrible agony was real, that it had happened to a real person. It was not a story. And that it happens and goes on happening because people reject each other and don't know how to love. I tried to make sense of all I saw. At the same time, I felt abject revulsion for the lies that seemed to have been told about the real man and his pain, his love. It was the same as mine and hell. I saw then that it was a terrible nonsense to say that love that I understood now and knew now as God demanded this horrible pain. I saw in his face as a sacrifice. Love demands no such sacrifice. I saw how Jesus was or could be real why he did not and would not, would never run away to save himself and abandon the people on earth that he loved so dearly in its ignorance and loneliness. He was not killed to be a sacrifice. He knew he would be killed. He just would not desert the people and the earth he loved. I had been taught a religious idea, a distortion of a reality, but he had known and understood perfectly, too, that people were not capable of understanding what love really is. He was quite alone just like I am alone and you are, except perhaps since he was born he had always known this immense light and love that I know now. None of it made any sense in the rules of the organized church that had taught me God wanted a sacrifice. That was all nonsense. The real man, the real Jesus of Nazareth, every kind and loving person was like my brother or my friend. He was like all the people who had ever loved me and who ever will love me. He had understood how people who are not loved needed to know what love was. He gave the love he knew, that I know, not because of church teaching. His love is the love that is everywhere, the essence, the energy of the universe. That love may be experienced as the great light, to be loved and to know love. 
We love and give love because it is the most precious thing we have. He knew that people would not understand, that they would want to punish him for setting people free from all religious and political threat and fear. He knew they would want him dead and would kill him. But he didn't care because he loved them all. That's the love that overwhelms and destroys fear in spite of pain. Now I was strong. I had and continue to have a feeling that love is an ever-present and indomitable force that can always be found and connected in many ways. Like prayer, like deep meditation, its power is always there for everyone. I knew then that the rest of my life had to be placed in the hands of love alone. It was not a religious idea. I felt that Jesus of Nazareth knew it and understood and that there must be many others who would do so. There were other visions, but in a short while, my mother became angry with me, uh, with my being in the house. I was afraid she would insist I went to work and leave my little boy with her again. She told my father she didn't want me in the house, that I must go. My father said, your mother doesn't want you here. You'll have to go. I think they meant that I was to go and leave my son behind. I left within a day or two very quietly with my son. The police tracked us down because my parents called them to do so. But a friend lied to them for me and said we could stay in her in her place. So I am alone, but not alone. I saw that amazing light 45 years ago. I took a very personal path with my son that would have been absolutely impossible without that experience of the brilliant light, the knowledge given, and the understanding of that perfect love. And since then, life has often been very sad, painful, and difficult, but love never left me. Love remains with me. It's my source of strength and courage till I die. That was our monthly report from IONS um, for December of 2015. So we'll go to November of 2015. This is also about love. One time in the fall of 1971, during my short-lived military, militant atheist college days, I met a young man who was affiliated with the Campus Crusade for Christ, although not a formal member. He was not like the others, as he did not have the pat, easy, memorized answers to our challenges. He shocked me upon admitting not knowing why God allowed suffering. I was impressed that this man was not offended, defensive, or angry about my questions. He did not shout at us and tell us that we were all going to hell. He also treated me as a human being not as a potential soul for Christ. He actually wanted to know me. I struck up a friendship with him that fall of 1971, though he and I strongly disagreed about religion. About six months later, he invited me to his home in Kansas. We had some time, so we retired to his room. He shared a room with me. uh, He shared a room with one of his older brothers. He was the youngest of three brothers and the last to leave home. There was one single bed on each side of the room. My friend said that since we had some time before dinner, we ought to pray. That shocked me, as I, as he knew I did not pray. I said, you know, I'm an agnostic. I decided by then that atheism was as much a faith proposition as belief in God. My friend surprised me and said, do you know what your problem is? You're afraid to pray. That startled me, but I rose to his challenge and said, I'm not afraid of anything. I will pray. With that, Joe closed his eyes and bowed his head in the typical evangelical Baptist style of praying. I refused to bow my head or close my eyes, 
But I respected my friend's integrity, so I prayed. And this is what I prayed. If I have ever done anything to harm anyone, I am truly sorry. And if there is a God, I want to know you. Immediately, something like scales came off both my eyes. It looked like the gray scales that I remembered from snake skins when molting, only with the fragile consistency of a cigarette ash. I watched these gray scales drop and, by reflex, reached out to catch them with both my hands. I felt nothing material. I was just trying to grasp what had happened when above me a brilliant light appeared. It was the most beautiful crystal clear white light I had ever seen. It was brighter than a million suns, yet it did not hurt my eyes. It filled the entire room with light, and the light bleached out everything in the room. The walls, the furniture, the floor, the bedding, our clothes, everything was bleached to the whitest color white imaginable, except for the skin on our faces and what was not covered by clothing. Our skin color remained the same. At the very same instant, I was aware that I was in some new kind of time, a timelessness that was beyond time in the usual sense that we know it. I could see my friend still seated with his eyes closed and his head bowed, but he did not seem to notice the same light. The light was alive. It was a being of light. Immediately the light spoke to me, but not in words. It spoke directly to my mind. The the being of light said, I love you exactly the way you are. As soon as this being spoke to me, we were alone in some place that was beyond place. The room seemed to disappear, and it was just this being of light and me. I was not frightened, but I was transfixed on this beautiful being of light. When the being of light said his first words to me, I felt he knew me perfectly. He already could see my past, present, future. He knew it all in one moment, and so in saying this, he had no illusions about me. He saw me, warts and all. Yet I felt this most profound, unconditional love beyond comprehension. It was a a relief to be so totally known and loved at the same time. It's hard to put it into words. Somehow I knew that this being was loving me at that moment as if I were all the moment, as if it were all the moments of my existence, past, present, and future. He loved me as if I was the most loved human from the beginning of human history to the end of human history. I felt loved as if I were the only human being that ever existed. Yet I knew that this being loved everyone exactly the same way and that that was not a contradiction. At the same time, I knew this being of light awakened some part of me somewhere deep inside, a a reserved place made for him and for him alone, a part that had some direct knowledge of him that seemed as if it had been dormant and was now awakened. I could truthfully say I knew him even as what and who he was, was beyond my, my finite knowing. And so he was like meeting my very best friend, the best friend I had longed to meet all my life. No words can describe this. I knew him, yet I cannot explain how. I just knew him. It was as if he had been present in every moment I had ever felt loved, and then far beyond these moments to all moments. He was so alive, so joyful, so free, so mirthful, so playful, and so utterly alive with joy. He radiated joy as if he was the source of all life, joy, truth, goodness, beauty, like a living fountain that continually flowed up, but a living fountain that was its own source of water. This being had absolutely no condemnation nor judgment of anyone or me. 
just was not there. I felt totally liberated from all the shame I had internalized from my past while in his presence. I felt totally free to be alive and joyful too. It was like I had come to life for the first time. Time did not exist anymore. Time without time. I don't, I, I know that doesn't make sense, but that was what it was like, a timelessness. I, I knew that I had all the time I wanted with him. There was no rush, no sense of urgency. He was not distracted or preoccupied. For this time, I seemed to have his complete attention. This being, the being seemed totally delighted to be with me. I did not feel self-conscious or awkward. His very essence seemed to be made of love, as if loving was all he could do, but he did so with total freedom, total delight. It was contagious, and I tell you that no one on earth has ever loved like this being. Troubled by my own doubts about my masculinity since I was a teen, I decided this was my chance to ask him this being, ask this being a question that plagued me for a long time. So I asked my question by sending my thoughts to him, which was so natural, so easy, and so effortless, like I had telepathically spoken all my life. I asked him, is it all right to be gay? Now I know it sounds like a strange question, that question out of all the questions I could ask an eternal loving being, but it was sincere. And at age 22, that was my question. Today, I would ask entirely different ones and not stop at one question. But the being of light laughed and smiled. I cannot tell you how I knew this, but I just knew it. And with great love in his voice, he said, that is not the most important question. I wish everyone could hear the gentleness, the tenderness I heard in his voice. This is not a God of wrath and judgment. That response really surprised me as my heart was beating in my throat when I asked it and I expected to be given a stern lecture of condemnation, but the being let me know that he had full confidence in me to figure out what the most important question is. At the same time, I knew he wouldn't give me the most important question, that he wanted me to discover it for myself. Again, I wish I could convey how I felt so loved by his confidence in me, so touched, so respected. This being of love had such a profound respect for me, for everyone. He did not want to pressure or, or push me. He simply trusted that I would find out the question and the answer at another time in my life. He did not say when, but somehow I knew it would happen one day. So before I could ask, what is the most important question, the being of light touched the top of my head. I cannot tell you how I knew he touched the top of my head, but I knew he did. And then suddenly my whole body became translucent. Amazingly, I could see right through my hands, arms, feet, and whole body. I had clothes on, but they were transparent too. I could see all the external details of my exposed arms and hands, despite them being translucent. I was amazed. I could see right through me. Then suddenly, this being of light poured this pure golden light into my translucent body. It was not like ordinary light, as it was uh, alive. It was far brighter and purer than the purest gold. The golden light was not material, but I have to say it poured into me from above. It was alive. The golden light was totally alive with pure joy. Slowly I could see the golden light fill me up from the soles of my feet, my legs, my lower torso, my upper torso, and then the top of my head and overflowing. I felt one with this being, one with its eternal peace, joy, and love, 
Love without a beginning or end, eternal love. I decided right then I did not want to stay on this earth. I had found who I was looking for, and I saw this earthly existence by contrast was no comparison. So I realized that I could will my soul to leave my body. It was as natural as an eagle taking flight with his wings. So I did will it, and the being of light instantly vanished. I did not feel lost or abandoned, just wonderful. Immediately I asked my friend who still had his head bowed and his eyes closed, did you see the light? At first my friend thought I was mocking him, but I won him over. He later told me he did not he later told me he did see a great light in his mind as we prayed, but he did not see the light in the room. I can still remember this experience as if it happened five minutes ago, and to tell you the truth, it did, but not in a literal sense. When I saw that light at age 22, it is hard to explain. I also saw that light at every moment of my life. That light broke into all my past, present, and future. So I say I can still question that light real and fresh in my memory, And do you want to know the most important question? At age 58, I think I know it. The question and the answer are the same. Love. I don't know that we have time for the next story. Let me just take a look. Probably not. But I'll tell you something that happened to myself because I've had a similar experience as a chaplain in the hospital. I attended a birth one or a death one time that was uh, actually was like a birth. It was a great grandfather, and his whole family was there, uh, four four generations, and it was the most loving experience I had seen. And I've attended many deaths as a chaplain. But the family was there, and they were and they were with him, and they were joyful because they uh, they had strong faith. And they kept saying, "Don't worry about us, Granddad. We'll be fine, Granddad. Don't uh, don't you think that uh, we're in that we're, we will of course love you, we will miss you, uh, but you'll be fine. You're going you're going to a better place." And. This was true from the children of this man right down to the great grandchildren, and they were and they were happy, and they were uh, some of them I think sang a song. And as he died, and this was the only time this has ever happened to me, it was as if the room was filled with a light that you couldn't see, but it was it had a golden quality to it. It was like honey poured down right out of the ceiling and covered the whole room. I don't know if anyone else in that room experienced the same thing that I did, but I felt this love come down, and I don't know if it was what we call a, a shared NDE where uh, a person who's with a dying person can travel into the light, or whether it was the love of the family being manifest in God's love or uh, a heavenly being of some sort just coming into the room and uh, sharing that radiance with us. But it was so powerful and so beautiful that when I read stories like this, I can really identify with them. Now, the, the details of each of these stories is can be quite different. The perceptions, the way we experience it. Now, this person I just read about uh, had seen translucent skin and light filling filling his body. 
I didn't feel that way. I just felt that I was surrounded by the Holy Spirit in a form that could be manifested as what I would call invisible light. So these experiences do not require that you die. I will refer you back to my last week's conversation with Robert and Suzanne Mays, where they pointed out clearly that uh, you don't have to have your heart stop or your or your brainwave cease in order to have a vision of the other side. These uh, mystical experiences are quite readily available. You never know when they're going to happen, but be open to the possibility. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about the work of IONS and our upcoming conference in Orlando, Florida in July, check out that website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.